On this episode of American Reef, we're going to go back in time and check out the life support systems on that beautiful Penn State reef tank. So there are a couple really cool things about this video. Um, number one, step back and remember, this thing is like, what, 10, 15 years old, right? So you're seeing a tank that, again, at that time, was maybe one of 15 or 20 throughout the world that kind of looked that way. There wasn't a lot of them. Uh, actually, I think Mike Paletta put one of his original books out back, way back when. I think it was called like the Ultimate Marine Aquariums or something like that. And, uh, and he literally did that traveling to try to capture these tanks at their peak, which is really kind of cool. Um, again, to see how far things have come. But back to the two points. Um, so in that time frame, what you'll notice is First of all, um, the principles pretty much are remaining the same for that whole filtration system, right? That whole life support system. But what has happened it, are the products that kind of get you to those goals have changed since then. So it's really kind of cool looking and, and seeing what was kind of, um, again, what was considered kind of tried and true then versus like what's there now. Uh, the second thing, look at the chiller section. It's really a, a cool method of chilling your tank and I believe uh, a lot less risky um, than in kind of a lot of the options in today's environment. So either way, check it out. Very, very cool, right? <laughs> so to speak. Um, another thing to, to notice too in this video is um, you've heard me say many times that kind of time proofs companies and products to be good, reliable, successful, that sort of thing, right? You'll find in this video, right, there are some key names like Bulk Reef Supply, Premium Aquatics, Tunzi, right, that they were, again, the products and the companies back then, and it's funny how they're still that way now. And you have, you know, other products that come and go, but those staples kind of still remain that, again, <laughs> Are, are a value to reef keepers. And uh, so to that point, you'll see and hear a lot of that in this video as well. Um, again, if you have any questions on the videos whatsoever, feel free to send me an email at AmericanReef at me.com. And again, if you're looking for HPD, check it out at AmericanReefHPD.com. Again, getting lots of emails on where you can pick it up at americanreefhpd.com one word or just go to the american reef website so a m e r i c a n reef r e e f.com uh, and there's a link on there to actually get to hpd as well so uh, again any questions let me know otherwise i hope you enjoyed this segment of the life support systems on that penn state reef tank
so we were talking about flow. Um, we're talking about the hardware on this system. I see three Iwaki 70s mounted on the on the bulkhead right here, right. which is a really cool way to mount them. I never saw it that way, but obviously it's very effective. Keeps them off the ground. Um, so we have actually all the flow going into what? Right yeah, there. these are the intakes. Okay. The back, this is how you set up a closed loop. Essentially, drill the back of the tank. This will be the intake, goes into the pump, and it gets fed back right into the tank. Big circle. The nice advantage of doing this is that you don't have a lot of head pressure. So you can get a lot of flow without losing a lot of head pressure. Yeah, so we have three. So we have three of these. Two of them go through the C4. And I was incorrect when I told you earlier that they were split. Actually, all of the output from these Iraqi 70s is going through the 186 So we have 4,500 gallons an hour just in these three just pumps in this right here. Loops. Mm -hmm. right. And then there's one circulation pump in the back there. That's a hundred. That, that's a rocky hundred that feeds water back into the tank. And that one is split into two. So now we're up to, by that's our walk-out calculation, we're at 6,500 gallons an hour right, right now. Right. And, and then there's one Tunzi in there. Which is at least another thousand or more. Two and a half, three thousand. Okay, so we're almost ten thousand gallons of turnover in this tank. Right. So for any viewers who uh, you know are just starting up a tank, you know, remember flow is critical on these aquariums. And a lot of times beginners, you know, they don't want to buy a big expensive pump or what have you, but you can you, you really need to address flow. Right probably one of the most important aspects. Yeah, but flow and lighting. Yep. Are two important physical things, the rest are all chemical. That's right. Okay, so now Russ is filming some lighting up there. We've got some really cool reflectors. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Right. What we have, we're running this tank with just four 400 watt metal headlights. So a 500 gallon tank lit by four 400 watt Highlights. I love it. Using these Ushio 14,000 Kelvin bulbs. Beautiful color. They don't use any supplemental lighting at all. Uh, these are all housed in uh, Pacific Garden Supplies uh, Luminar Reflectors, Luminar 3s. One of the nicer reflectors in the market. Especially for big tanks. And this is another example of just keeping it simple, eliminating all the power compacts, the VHOs, whatever whatever you want for that night effect. It really doesn't need it to be no. very successful. It's all static and, you know. What we do is the lights are basically staggered. They don't all come on instantaneously. Mm -hmm. The first one comes on, then a half an hour later the next one comes on, and so on. And then we turn them off the same way. So that way there's a gradual change in the light pattern. Sunset, sunset sunrise, sunrise, sunset, right? And that's good for the fish. Especially if they're fishing on the spawn. They like to know when it's becoming dusk and when the lights are gonna go off because most of the fish will spawn right before it becomes dark. That's a really good point. That's a very interesting point. I never so heard that. Before. That really helps. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fish get the cues from the lighting as to what time it is and it's time to spawn. And now what about like lighting as far as, you know, how daylight gets shorter? We don't longer? change that. Okay. We could, we have the controller that can change it, but we just let it run 
neat. So I don't have too many complicated baffles in there at all. Now who came up with that design? You did? Yeah. Because that's neat. Yeah, I never saw that done before. It's not really my design. It's just this kind of improvised or extrapolated from some discussions I had with some friends of mine. It's a very clever design though. It really is. It's simple, but I've never seen it done like that. Cool. Okay. a fusion that's built in, which we threw rock in there and we grow whatever algae grows in sure. there. Which gives us a little bit more of biological filtration. So the water just kind of drains over the edges like a zero-edge right. tank. It just goes over yeah. the edge. Okay. So we have a small pump that pumps water into the refrigerator. And it's just very slow flow through there. That's a good idea and too. it just overflows, just spills over. And then it, it feeds into a Waki 100 that pumps water back into the tank. When we talked about that earlier, we have the Iwaki 100 that's part of the main circulation of the sump in the aquarium. Yeah, one of the things that you don't really want to do is run too much water through your sump anyway. Because that's a lot of wasted use of power. If you were to run maybe, run your tank through your sump, thousand gallons per hour for a tank like this would be way more than enough. You could even run even less than that. Interesting. So what I like to put in more circulation within the tank then through the sump. Yeah. So I, a lot of people would use a big, huge pump yeah. and run all their water through the sump. Yeah. Which I don't do. If you look at the ratio of water circulating within the tank versus what goes through here. Yeah, I mean, we only have 2,000 gallons right. per hour, but it's a 500 gallon tank. Right. You know? Right. I've seen people put Iwaki 100s on a 150 gallon tank. Right. You know? So you don't need that much water to flow through your sump. So that's where the closed loop comes in. That's where the closed loops comes in. That's where any of your power heads and other things might come into play. And that's why we only need a two-inch drain. Right. We don't need, if you're running 10,000 gallons per hour through this tank, I would need four two-inch drains or right. something ridiculous like that. And that would require a much bigger overflow box yeah. inside the tank, yeah. which takes away my real estate. Yeah. I hate and, to give and, up that real estate. For and it gives you more of a chance for an overflow or a big problem, you know? So this one drain is, is all we need. And it's big enough that it's not going to clog easily. Mm -hmm. So Iwaki 100, then we teed off to run some of our other equipment. Right, so the Iwaki is teed off, the feed, feed pump is actually teed off to run a carbon and, and a GFO reactor. We kind of mix up both in one. Mm -hmm. It is also teed off so we can get a water feed line into the reactor, the carbon and the phosphate reactor, mm -hmm. and it also feeds into the calcium reactor. How often do you change the uh, GFO ROX? Usually we try to change it once every six to eight weeks. Okay, so that's a very interesting, like, how do you know when to change it? You don't, really, do you? It's, it's not easy to know. Obviously. I go by the way the water looks, kind of. I just know? go, by try, I mean, over the years, I find it's easier, to, it's better to replace it more frequently. Uh-huh. Less more that, frequently. Yeah, less more frequently. Yeah, and especially if you're using, like I say, like a bulk of supply, it's relatively inexpensive to do it. Okay, now, so you don't them. use we a lot of... five-gallon yes. buckets. Yeah. Exactly. You don't use a lot of GFO, though. Well, it's half and half, really. Oh, it is? Okay. It just got mixed up. All yeah, right. Okay, so you use like a 50-50. That's yeah. what we do, too. Roughly 50, Same 50. thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then usually what I've done right now is we just basically bump this back into the... Uh, the refugium, so that mm -hmm. little bit extra flow to the refugium. Sure. And I see we have a we small, have a small UV. UV sterilizer. Uh -huh. 
that is actually fed by its own separate pump and that's just we've been using this UV sterilizer since the beginning I don't use them on my tanks at home mm -hmm. but here we've been using it and we keep using it it's one of those pieces of equipment it, you can always just unplug leave right. it plumbed, leave it's, it plumbed in it's and, separate we got expensive know. fish in here sure so if, if it helps that'd be good absolutely now we have a looks like custom-made kind of calcium reactor, custom -made reactor. Um, basically once again to, to increase the path it's a square react it's a rectangular reactor we wanted it small enough to fit underneath here uh-huh yes so i had a friend of mine actually built it for me and it's divided into two halves so we actually have a long path length once again for the water to mix with the uh and you pump a lot separate. of CO2 in there. It's but it's going pretty oh, hard. You yeah, see the amount of corals. I know. This I is know. Not, I don't think it's enough. We still have to occasionally supplement with uh, two-part mixes. Do you really? Yeah. Now, uh, do you ever add any calcium chloride straight? Yeah, that too. Yeah, we add calcium chloride straight. We add baking soda. Yeah. And then we often have to add magnesium. And do you have the students test the water, or how does that yeah, work? Yeah, the students test the water. And we keep monitoring much, at least tested once a week. That's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. uh, try to at least test it once a week. So it's a constant battle with the supply and demand. The, the demand that this tank requires of calcium and minerals. This is very high. Very high. <laughs> very, very There's high. There's a lot of corals growing in here. So now, how do you keep it cool? Alright, so what we have is a chiller. So this building here has cold water, chilled water in the building. So we don't even need a separate chiller. But what we have is a heat exchanger unit. I love those. Okay, it's nice and compact. Yep. Uh, it doesn't use any power other than water being fed into it. So we have a separate pump that we feed water into this heat exchanger, which is fed off of chilled water from the building. That's really neat. So this is a titanium heat exchanger blade. Those are um, a very cool alternative to a big, hot, bulky chiller. Right. But not everybody can use that type no, of situation. You it might just not works have here. chilled water in your building. Yep. <laughs> so Penn yep. State here runs chilled water and hot water through these buildings. They have a central chilling plant, so they, they can do those things. And that's what we are using. If they did not have that, you would have to have a chiller in here, do you think? Yes, we would. You would. Without the chiller, the temperature would run too hot. It would give me 85 degrees very easily. And what controls the temperature on that? There How is do you a controller. Control what does it do? We have this uh, Neptune controller, the, the Aqua Controller 3. Okay. That's here. That's essentially monitoring the pH and monitoring the temperature. So what does it shut on and off? It shuts on off the pump that feeds water into the chiller. Nice. Yep. So that cooling device is always on, so to speak. Right, because but it's the, running cold water yep. through there all the time. Yep. So all we have to do is turn the water on and off that's so going into that cooling device. And does that pump shut off occasionally? Does it actually shut off or is it pretty much running through there all the time? It does shut off. It does? Okay. Tank runs around 78 degrees. Yeah, that's a good question. So what temperature do you think is optimum for an acro tank like this? Yeah, we're in a wide range of temperatures. That's what I've heard. I mean, as what, what I'm seeing is as people start keeping more and more angelfish, some of the angelfish 
require lower temperature. Oh, really? I thought you were going to say the opposite. No. Lower? Because right. they live deeper water, maybe? Right, so right. Okay. Water. Even the banded angels are supposed to be kept at lower temperatures. Well, I know they're a deeper water angel, right. and that's why sometimes it's a little difficult to get that transition. So I have friends who run their tanks at 72, Yeah. and they still have poles that look beautiful. And they Probably grow. They consistency. Grow, they grow a little slower, uh -huh. which is fine. Mm -hmm. Once you get this kind of growth, you could actually slow it down if you wanted. It's okay yeah. to slow it down. Yeah. Right, right. I'd rather slow it down. Right. So very, very. I run it at 78. The high of 78. And usually runs between 76 and 78. Okay. So. This is a filter for all the water going into the exchanger plate. So by putting a filter before the water going into the exchanger plate, it prevents a lot of the crud from settling in there or things from growing in there. Because if you didn't, you, you know, you have a lot of bolts on here. That's like a big process to get that all right. apart, clean right. it and out. There's a lot of chambers in there that are fairly narrow. Doesn't want them getting clogged. No, did you do that from day one? Yeah, that's been done from day one. and I both agree on is keep it simple. So as far as your water changes go, I see all these buckets of Instant Ocean under here. So why do you use Instant Ocean and what uh, keeps it simple? I've been using Instant Ocean ever since I got into the hobby. Okay. I've never found a reason to make me change. Uh-huh. My corals are growing really well. You can't argue with can't it. Argue Unarguable. So why change things that work well? That's just that's part of keeping it simple. So right. we do a 10% right. water change once a week, which equals 50 gallons. Right. The Instant Ocean comes in a box, four 50-gallon bags. Four 50-gallon bags. I have instructions for the students. So These groups hold how much? 50 gallons. 50 gallons. It all works. The it math works. works. Right. It keeps it easy for the guys who are helping you with the tank. You all go on vacation, 50-gallon bag, RO, it all fits. Right. Okay. That's gonna. That's the water change philosophy, and that's how we've done it. So, water changes are good for tanks. Mm -hmm. It's always good for the water tanks. Consistency. You know, not like one this month, none right. for three months. Just get on a routine and stick to it. Look, so tell me, tell me why you like the here. water changes. Huh? Tell me why you like the water changes. I think partly it removes some of the stuff that doesn't get removed by the chemical filtration. Right, I right. And secondly, it adds add some of the trace elements that might be getting used up by the forest. Sure. So that's where the water changes really help. Yeah, because really, if you think of it, the only trace elements you add are what is coming from the calcium reactor. You don't add anything else. Right, exactly. And you don't see any bottles of stuff from my Strontium, molybdenum, magnesium, right. all those things we used you to add. See, you don't do, you, we don't see it in CNJ's filter. Yep. So once again, for, the, for maintaining the water that evaporates, we use the water from the RO that gets pulled in by a dosing pump. This is the reef filler dosing pump and champion sells this one. It will feed about five gallons a day at the most, I think. This one is rated for about five gallons a day. And we have it hooked up to a controller, which has a fluid sensor that goes into the sump. It's one of those pressure-driven ones as opposed to the mechanical one. So as the water level goes down, right. it triggers the sensor, that turns this pump on, and start dripping water into the tank. 
And what's nice about this is it can't back siphon water or anything. No, you know? No, it won't back siphon. The water gets dumped into the tank higher than the, the bump itself, so it won't back siphon. Nice. And it'll pump water several feet away, so you can see we go up and over. Yeah, and, and that sensor works that far away too, yeah, the which is nice, far. very nice. It's based on air pressure. Yeah. Those are nice. There's no moving parts. Very good. And then last but not least, we have to talk about this other tank that's attached to this system. So Sanjay, why don't you tell us the history of this tank? It's been there since the beginning, right? Right. Yeah. When we first put in, we put in for two tanks. Uh, we put in for one. We want to do a press